Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, episode 14 for Thursday, October the 5th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. These folks are doing amazing things. You need to check them out. You need to go to the browser. You need to type in www.voicexp.com. You'll be glad that you did. We've got a fantastic show today, a lot of news to get to, great panel. Our youngest panelist ever, Brendan Hirsch. Brendan, say hello. Hello. Very excited to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Brendan is a homeschooled student in Florida who has always loved computers and technology. He opened his first web store when he was eight and is now building websites for clients. He teaches HTML and CSS classes. He's appeared multiple times on HLN and has developed apps for Google Home. I'm embarrassed to even try to think of what I was doing at age 16. Brendan, thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, very, thank you very much for setting the time aside. And we are also joined by Brian Romley. Brian, say hello. Hi, Bradley, and hi, Brendan, and everybody. Brian, thank you very much for joining us once again. So tell us what you're working on right now. What, uh, what issue of Multiplex Magazine are we on and what's covered? Uh, boy, I am working uh, very diligently on the October issue. Uh, I'm a little strange. I, I do the issue towards the end of the month, but this one might actually come out mid-month. And I'm uh, diving deeper and deeper into how we are going to build the next three generations of voice-first interactions. Um, I've already, in the earlier magazines, covered complete dialogues, and, and, and that's the very next thing. And com- complete dialogues means that you're not just asking a question and getting an answer. You have continuity and, 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 and a continuous uh, context. And I will be covering that in much more detail in the next issue. I have some surprises because I'm going to expose some new things that I don't think anybody's heard of and uh, how to do this effectively. So that's what I'm working on. Very cool. We'll have to check that out and we will get the uh, link to that up on thisweekinvoice.com. With okay. that, let's get to the news. So quite a bit of news this week. The uh, center of gravity in voice technology shifted ever so slightly this week back in the direction of Google from residing uh, almost exclusively in Amazon. This Wednesday at a press event, Google unveiled an array of voice-first products, including the Google Home Max, Google Home Mini, and others. At least one writer compared, and we have this linked on the page, to uh, this, this battle that's emerging compared it to some other technological battles in the past. And it really shapes up to be Amazon versus Google here at the, heading into the end of 2017. Brendan, I'm going to start with you. Do you like what you saw out of the Google announcements this week? And how do you see Google being able to compete against Amazon with some of the stuff that they rolled out? They took a big step in the right direction to compete against Amazon because... Well, I think all the things that they released, the Google Home Mini is, I think, the biggest part of everything they released is because with that Walmart promotion, too, you can get them for $25. And I think a lot of people are thinking of these smart speakers as things that are like, oh, they're really expensive. They're hard to get to work. But $25, you could have Google Home that you could talk to anywhere. And I think that's big. The impression that people my age get and older is that young folks are really flocking to this technology. And I think there's been data on that. So you've got an Echo device at home. How do you interact with that? Do you ask it the weather or, or ask it for other stuff? What do you do? A lot, a lot of the times it's actually used as a calculator. Okay. I ask it how to solve math problems, but I also use it as trying to ask it all sorts of facts. Because if I think, oh, I need to go Google that, I try Alexa first. Cool. Yeah. So I wanted to dig in a little bit, uh, dig deeper on that, just uh, because we've got a 16-year-old in our midst. Let's find out what a 16-year-old does with the technology. And uh, that's very interesting. Brian, what are your thoughts on Google's announcements? 
Well, first off, I got to say, I'm just so absolutely impressed by uh, Brendan uh, and honored to actually share a microphone with him. It's just absolutely brilliant. Anybody listening, uh, I think we talked about this pre-show. What were you doing when you were 16? Uh, you know, a lot of us were doing a lot of different things. And so I, uh, I'm just uh, really honored. So, you know, I, I want to also kind of go on the coattails of the age cohort. I've been so fortunate in the last four years, pretty much, maybe five, but let's say more actively over the last four years, I've had over 300 open office hours for people that were specifically designing around voice first AI. And a vast majority uh, are below the age of 25. And um, a few of them are below the age of 18. Uh, I have only talked to two individuals that were 16. And uh, so this is definitely something that I've seen deeply impacts the younger cohort. And I think the reason is this is something that they're growing up with and it's becoming a de facto, it's an acceptance. It's like my children will touch the screen of my iMac uh, and uh, my uh, MacBook Pro and they're asking me, why doesn't it move? Why can't I move things around? And so they have already come to through the world seeing a certain modality. I think voice is going to do that and a lot of a lot of us older folks may be set in our ways and say, "Well, I could Google that. Uh, I could get out a calculator." But you see, what Brendan is doing is he's well, it's right there, and I think that's only going to continue. Now, onto Google's event, it was quite a big deal, and I absolutely agree with what Brendan is saying. Getting that price point down into the um, sub twenty-five dollar range is a magical number. It's a psychological number. And we've, we can, I can point to a whole lot of psychological researches about pricing of technology, et cetera. There's a lot of studies about that. And I follow them closely. Um, what Walmart is doing, and of course, it's a promotion. That's how these things always start out. And then you find ways to subsidize later on. Uh, what Walmart is basically saying is, okay, Amazon, I see you and we're coming for you. Uh, Walmart is seeing this as a road into the home and being able to perform voice commerce, hopefully equal to Amazon or maybe surpassing it with the technology they have from from Jet, which is the e-commerce company they acquired. And the idea that Google has is pretty apparent from all the interactions I had from that event. And that is they want one of these in every room. Did you see also that um, New York Times is giving away Google yes. Home Minis? Um, this is a big deal. Big yeah, deal. with a subscription. And then um, also the Pixel. I think if you, if you buy the Pixel 2, you get one. You get one free. Uh, yeah, and, and, and we're, we're only at the tip of the iceberg of this. I've always, my, my thesis has always been that the entry-level devices will be free. And they will be in everybody's home and there will be one in every room and there'll be one in the garage, in the basement, in the car. There'll be one at the, at the grocery store, down every aisle. I mean, this is going to expand. But the thing that really struck me is uh, Pixel Buds, not so much in the, the design. The design of Pixel Buds is nothing phenomenal. It's really good design, but it's not to the level of what... Uh, AirPods were designed to, and that's. And I want to ask Brendan about that before we, as we get into talking oh, about okay. the Pixel Buds. Uh, yeah. So it's a perfect segue, um, Brendan. First of all, do you agree with everything that Brian just said? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what Google is trying to do with the Minis is, I mean, for a hundred dollars, which is cheap for one of the higher end, like Alexas or Google Homes. For a hundred bucks, you can get four minis, one for bedroom, one for the kitchen, one for living room, Absolutely. one for another That's bedroom. Great. So it's, I think they're trying to just get them everywhere. To do that math, I need to go ask Alexa to do that math. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask Brennan, do you think you're going to go, uh, go mini too? Uh, you're going to have both, uh, both uh, in the house? I don't know. I think that the, the minis are definitely promising. So, but would you, would you invest? Would you say, I got to have both of them? Hmm. Not yet. All right. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, the the thing that I always find uh, fascinating is 
that we psychologically invest in one or the other technology, even though I think we're going to own all of them, it's just that mentally we tend to use one more over the other. And um, I notice people who are very Siri dependent uh, find it harder to use Google, but easier to use Amazon. I've always had Apple stuff and I, I use Siri for a while, but I tried using the Google home for a while and now Siri just seems yeah, not nearly as good as it used to. Brian, we talked about this several times in previous episodes about uh, your belief that there will be several different devices and voice assistants in the home, and and I, I you know, that's possible, or I could see it going either way. Uh, you know, I, I don't have too strong of an opinion on that, but for there to be multiple devices along the same lines, they've got to have compelling competitive advantages and that brings us to talking about the pixel buds the pixel buds are not news without the translation ability added on top the translation ability is just like a it's it's a freight train running through airpod revenue in 2018 applesauce time <laughs> because who's, again well you know i don't like what apple's doing and i'm not shy about it but this, i feel like it, this is somewhat objective who's going to buy airpods when you can buy pixel buds assume now i'm assuming some things i'm assuming the same price or approximate i'm assuming same functionality with all smartphones or approximate mm-hmm. but give if, if you check those boxes who's going to buy airpods when you can just buy pixel buds and this really cool like star trek functionality and i understand they, they work a little bit differently in practice you got to set them up and all that uh-huh. but, um the pixel buds blow me away brendan what were your thoughts uh, upon seeing the pixel buds are you just as excited or sort of ho-hum yeah i saw the pixel buds and they're they're impressive i got the airpods like months ago when they first came out just because i was sick of trying to like get my arms around the the headphone the headphone wire out of coming out of my okay. computer but the uh, pixel buds i think are going to do a lot better than the airpods i think having a string between them too that's a big plus and that translation functionality is going to be incredible so brendan unlike the google mini where the answer on if you're going to buy that is clearly no the Pixel Buds, uh, that's something you could ask for like as a present or, or do some chores and earn some money for that, like it's in that range? Uh, they seem really cool. Cool. I think uh, that they have a lot more functionality than the AirPods, and if they're below the price, then Apple's going to have a big run for their money. The, the reality is it is a very basic design, but it's a good design. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. not that's not the real thing. What you said, uh, Bradley, is exactly the thing they have captured the flame and that is this sort of wow effect that is uniquely an Apple trait. This was probably one of the few moments where I think Google really shined in capturing an Apple moment. And I personally, if I was involved, I would have demonstrated this in an entirely different way, not putting anybody down, but this I don't think they realize what they have here because this is beyond. Um, all right, they did it as one last thing, but there should have been more drama. There should have been, you know, I would have done other things. But that said, what we have is a true science fiction promise, and that is the ability, the babble fish, you know, and all that, uh, you know, sci fi kind of concepts. You know, and I, I look at it even deeper. I look at it, if you look through the arc of history, one of the reasons for so many conflicts in the world has been a lack of communication and language and culture, but language primarily starts the problem. Language does not always work, right? People are talking one language, they speak another language and they got to try to translate it. No translation is ever perfect. And I've written about this. So people would ask me, well, gosh, you know, Google Translate isn't perfect. And I go, well, find me a translator that's perfect because two translators, human translators, will come out with two different sorts of nuances uh, between one language and the other, especially if the languages are kind of verbose. Some Asian languages coming into English is very hard and uh, sometimes Russian into English. So this is the beginning 
of liberation between people. You can literally walk around a country and have a conversation with almost anybody and cover 90% of what humans talk about with, with a free reign. Unfortunately, right now, it's got to be paired with a Pixel phone. I think I've heard rumors that they will move this to be an app on other phones. We'll see. I think they're probably going to keep it exclusive, the Pixel 2, for a while to drive sales. I personally think that for some travelers, Google is going to sell Pixel 2 phones specifically for this translation capability. That's how powerful I think it's going to be. Are the... Are the Pixel Buds included in with uh, Pixel 2, or is that a separate purchase? Uh, it's a 159 purchase. That's exactly what the AirPods are, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I think, a reasonable price for a system that, with the docking mechanism, you have 24 hours of use. I think it's um, 15 minutes of, uh, of um, you know, quick uh, charge. And then, mm-hmm. so basically you can wear them, I think four hours continuously, 15 minutes down, 24 hours. So it, it's got long battery life. I know a, a couple that recently got together. They talked two different languages and they were using Google Translate to communicate. <laughs> she was crying. She said, this is going to absolutely fundamentally change your life. It, it hit me at the moment as I was tweeting that Google had this magic moment available to them and they did exceedingly well but i always get frustrated as you know as i am as an outsider that if i was in there this would have been something that would have really it would have been like the 1984 commercial for them well i tell you uh, uh, you know been- the idea the the concept uh I, i'm so burnt out on these apple press events that are uh, let's be honest they're sort of disrespectful of, of people's time you know they take so long and <laughs> Um, and things like that. Uh, but uh, so I, I'm burnt out on those. The, the concept of watching a Google event, no, not going to do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, but, I wouldn't but, say make but, it Apple-like, but I, I would say... Well, well, hang on. Let me, let, me, yeah. let me conclude that thought. After after this Translate thing comes out and I'm reading about this like after the fact and, and I miss that, okay, you've managed to turn this around to where the next Google event, I will not miss it. Yeah. And, and that's, uh-huh. a big, that's a big statement uh, in and of itself. And, and Brian, I didn't think uh, nearly as much about the business applications. Um, it's huge. These pixel. Yeah, that is absolutely massive. It, it, I, I can see this at, at theme parks, hotels. I can see it in areas where there are multilingual environments. Well, not only that, I was more referring to just B2B. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. a good family friend of ours, you know, he's retired now, but he would go on behalf of his organization um, all over the world um, to represent his company. Uh, he was at the upper uh, executive management level. And um, he would have to spend a week or two, if not more, getting prepared uh, for yeah. cultural differences. <clears throat> for learning the language? Uh, yeah, learning the language is part of it for sure. And then also, you know, sort of getting up to speed on cultural differences and sort of etiquette in, in, uh, at dinner and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so if you cut the language part out of it, then not only does that remove straight, off, straight up 50% of the workload preparing for an international trip, but then it also sets you up for more success in the second part of it. And so you can be more respectful of the culture and, and this, that, and the other. If you're getting um, that uh, trans, you know, the translation in real time, I think it's phenomenal. I think you're right. Like Pixel 2 phones could become the new corporate enterprise device du jour, you know, if this thing works yeah. as well as advertised. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's only going to get better. And I think the use case is going to come out of the woodwork. I mean, I could see it using using it over a telephone where you're not even physically present with the person and there's ways to maybe interact with that and to uh, to do it in real time through um, uh, a Google Home uh, you know, platform. It, it, is, it is where Google really does shine. And, and uh, I, I got to give them a lot of credit for that. There's a lot of problems that I, I see within Google. There's a lot of cultural problems in the way they see voice first technology. I mean, getting on stage and saying we're AI first and then spending the entire, entire time talking about voice first technology primarily is, is sort of like talking about the transmission and the engine and not the Tesla. You know, I mean, this is the problem with engineering culture is, you know, that's why it is voice first. You know, it's, it's about what is the user interface. And 
there's a reason for uh, why I'm saying this. Psychologically, it makes you look at your mission as a company and as a leader much differently. Instead of getting caught in the minutia of, wow, we're using AI and look what we're doing with AI. It's like, look what we can command with our voice. And sure. the AI it falls in the background. And so getting back to the, to the buds, and I could probably talk forever about it, but I want to really make this point. You know, the whole idea, uh, let's look at Stephen Hawkins, right? Stephen Hawkins is, in a, in, is a good example of what humans do is they find a way to communicate. The, the, I love Stephen Hawking. So I've read his books, and yeah, and, and 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 he is an abnormality in medicine in a sense that he should have been gone within months of his diagnosis. Yet mm-hmm. he still is with us. He is a modern Einstein times two, as far as I'm concerned. Yet he is compelled. Uh, when I got to meet him, uh, he was still working the the board uh, with his finger. He was able to kind of. It would take a tremendous amount of his energy to communicate through his voice synthesizer, yet he wanted to communicate. He wanted to say things. He could have wrote them and had somebody read them, but he wanted to say them through his method, right? Mm-hmm. And we cannot deny that humans uh, from a deep level feel this way. And I think what Translate is touching upon, and I think it's going to be a slow roar, and like you said, Bradley, you barely knew it happened, it was, I think I timed it. It was seven minutes. And this is the most amazing thing. It was about seven minutes in that show. And I, I, I think they weren't quite sure how it was going to be received. I would have known. But anyway, getting back to the point. The point is you're looking at the opportunity for humans to communicate to 40 languages, ultimately onto over 150, maybe 200 languages at some point, but definitely 40 languages out of the box. Um, that's a big deal. Now, in America, speaking English, it sort of sounds like, oh, big deal. I'm doing that. I, I, I speak and anybody around the world needs to figure it out. They translate. That's a problem. That's a cultural problem. It's to be able to speak in that tongue and to be able to hear them in their tongue and to interact perhaps in real time. That's a phenomenal thing. And I think uh, Google was the first to, to grab that. And by the way, it could have been Apple. It could have been AirPods, uh, sure. but it wasn't. And that's the shocking part about this. And we talked about it pre-show and we, we talked about the differences between AirPods. AirPods is, a, is an elegantly engineered product. It is beautiful. I have nothing negative to say about it. A what couple of years ago, I, was, I saw something on Kickstarter that was this yes. almost like a little remote. felt like the Apple TV remote and you hold down on it and you say what you want into it and you point it at another person and it'll translate the language. But I thought that there was something kind of off with it. And that would be, that would be just awkward to have to talk into a remote to talk to other people. But I think these buds are really starting to make it more natural. And I mean, sure. do, do, do you feel, Brandon, do you feel like you have this sort of, if you had this, you sort of had this new superpower where you can For sure. anywhere yeah. to anybody. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And, and I think once that really touches people, on a much more deeper level, they'll realize, I mean, we live in a world where, where I think, can we, can we do with more communication? I think damn straight we could without any filters, without anybody translating for us. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we hear about what's going on somewhere else in the world through some other party, whether it be news or, or, or whatever. And that is in a form, a translation is also a rejuxtaposition of what maybe that person really did say. Business to business is probably the silent uh, use case of this that is just going to, you know, just any type of, uh, you know, medium to large business that wouldn't have one of these to accommodate customers that may walk into a physical retail store, come on a telephone or whatever, and they want to need to uh, to have a uh, real-time conversation. It it reminds me so much of um, the early days of the iPhone. Yeah. Where uh, the early da- the early days of the iPhone, uh, you had a lot of people in business, um, not just business, but a lot in business, saying, "Wow, look at that toy, the iPhone!" And if you're a serious individual, you got to have a BlackBerry. <laughs> we remember that. And it, it, I could easily see something similar happening with these Pixel Buds because they really reduce the AirPods back down to toy status, right? Mm -hmm. If you're you're going to get AirPods, 
Uh, why? It's only one reason because it's convenient for you and it's sort of a curiosity, you know, it's sort of a, um, a toy. If you're going to buy something and, and you're a serious business person or, or, or serious in some other way, and all things remain equal between the Pixel Buds and AirPods, you're a hundred out of a hundred times you're going to choose the Pixel Buds because uh, the other part of the equation is quick, tell me what the differences are between the new iPhones and the new Google phones. Oh, okay, you can't do it, then you're going to go with where the Pixel Buds are. Uh, someone needs to take the Pixel Buds and make sure that they can translate uh, Southern Hick. <laughs> because I, you, I can bring them into parts uh, parts of Alabama and Tennessee where everybody, including me, thinks that they're speaking a foreign language. So, <laughs> uh, you got to do that. You got to do that for uh, New Jersey too, because uh, the Jersey accent really confuses people sometimes. But if we're not, if we're moving off a of, of Google, I, I, I got a uh, Brendan sent uh, sent sent me a picture of the um, uh, Pixel Book keyboard with that dedicated uh, um, assistant key. Yeah. And he rightly pointed out that that was a big dedication on Google's part. Uh, Brennan, you got to dive into that. What, what were your thoughts when you saw that key? Yeah. If I, if I saw a new MacBook come out with a dedicated Siri key, I would have thought they're crazy. But I think Google has built up the foundation on the assistant enough that they can actually put a key on there and not, and not think it's going to be a flaw because... I think that the assistant is growing enough that it's going to be the main, going to be the main voice assistant. What, what do you think of the Pixel Book in general? I mean, what? Uh, I think that is. Would you good. invest? Would you be in that direction, or I, I, I still a iBook or a MacBook? Yeah, I have a MacBook Pro, but yeah. if I was more of a more of a, a Google device user, I would totally go get that new Pixel Book. I mean, I think that people used people used to kind of be against the old. Chromebooks, as they're, uh, they they don't work that well. That you can't even get apps on them. I think that's what educators like a lot about them because they don't have to worry about the kids going <laughs> yeah. playing with their own apps. Yeah, uh, I think now this Pixel this Pixel book is going to be a big step forward, and people are actually taking the, these Google computers more seriously. And oh, I could actually use that for my day to day work. I completely agree. The Pixel book looks really good, and. The new MacBook Pros with the touch bar actually do have a Siri key, except the difference is yeah. it's incredibly annoying. And I, I hit it on the line. That's funny. So you've I already hit, app, took, took it right off. Yeah, yeah. I, I know wow. a lot of people that do. You know, the, the thing about the bar is, is another problem within Apple culture. And, and we talked about this uh, earlier today is, is we, we must not touch the screen of our laptops. And that is bullshit. Mm. You know, if the if the touchscreen was around before the laptop, it would be absolute insanity to build a laptop that does not have a touchscreen. And mm-hmm. Apple sort of put a, a a this series of of, of uh, software keys along the upper where there used to be function keys. Right? Nobody in the Apple world ever used function keys to any greater degree. But Apple brought it back with this visual uh, board, which from the eye angle. When you're looking at your keyboard, it's almost invisible for most people. It's not an area where any of us are trained to look. It's not an area where any of us are trained to actually touch. And the idea is great. I wouldn't want to see it go away now that it's there. Mm -hmm. But the reality is it should have been on the screen. And if you were really serious about Siri, you would give it a hard key. You would make Siri very, very responsive and you would have a way to recover from a misstep. The problem with Siri on OS X is the delay of getting Siri up and the delay of getting rid of Siri is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It it, it has to be graceful. It has to know. And most importantly... I stopped using Siri altogether on my phone because I use the iOS 11 beta, and now it takes a good 30 seconds for Siri yes. to go from holding on the button to talking to her, a good minute to process it. And then, then I get, here's what I found on the web for what is 10 plus 10. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You and, send and, out a carrier pigeon in that amount of time. <laughs> yeah. You can count your toes. No. And, and, and what we're talking about 
is indicative of why I'm sort of frustrated and why, you know, I'd almost do it for a charity to lead Apple out of this uh, wilderness. I mean, they have incredibly brilliant people. They have incredibly brilliant technology. With Vocal IQ in Cambridge uh, in the UK, they have some of the most advanced uh, self-learning AI systems, yet none of it is being uh, used right now. Now we, we need to be uh, rooting for the executive management team to be purged, like they should be purged. That's, <laughs> the that's, the, that's, the, that's the reason you know that nothing is moving because you've got these uh, this cabal of uh, old timers that think that because they were there when Steve Jobs was there that that's their permanent job security and they can do whatever and uh, you know they need to go. There's no fresh thinking. So, I know fresh thinking right now. I, I'm putting it in uh, into the universe. Uh, Brendan Hirsch uh, is uh, leading up the voice uh, systems over at Apple. Get 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 somebody who is already doing programming, knows how it works, and uh, you can't find a fresher, uh, more insightful way to to move a company. Sure. I, 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 you know, listen, the, the, and I and I mean that seriously. But you know, the reality is this. If, if you're going to constantly reinvent yourself, you have to have the bold moves. You have to have the ability to say the winds have changed. And, you know, Jeff Bezos' day one philosophy really is the example of why Amazon's leading. They're basically saying you have to catch what is really the part of what people want and you have to go all force with it. Uh, and, you know, Apple will more nuance that and say, we establish what people want and then they follow us. Yes, but that's not always true for Apple. That's true for some of what Apple does. Some of the other things that Apple does is they find the things that people have already liked, like a, a pen, right? Uh, like uh, touchscreens. None of these things Apple invented and they, and they somehow nuanced them into something great. But I'm not all down on Apple. There is one more event we're going to see from Apple perhaps this year. We might see it. Might we might call it the HomePod event, and we might see some surprises. And well, part of so, the reason yeah, I'm giving this so. so much energy—that's uh, why I'm giving it so much energy. I'm trying to oomph. I'm using the oomph technique to to motivate anybody to hear my voice with an Apple. You better give this your best shot. 2017 needs something bigger from you, Apple. In voice, if I were at Apple, I think what I would do is I think the Touch Bar is a good idea. But I think what they really need to do next is take the keyboard and turn each one of those keys into like a smaller touch bar. It. Because then I think that would be a huge step forwards because then you could possibly use keyboards multiple languages. Applications could take like oh, yeah. applications that don't need the number bar could take that, turn it their own little set of buttons. You could hold down the option key instead of having to guess through a whole row of symbols to figure out which symbol you're trying to find. So anything would be, yeah, anything would be better than what it is right now. I, I, and, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. And, uh, and yeah. thank you for, thank you for telling me that I can get rid of the Siri button on the touch bar. I will be doing that soon <laughs> because I hit Here it on are. accident. Here you are voice first people. And we're talking about getting rid of the Siri. Button. Well, I hit it you on know, accident. Exactly. I hit it on accident all the I time. Know. And it's like, okay, you know, no, I don't want Siri. It's, it's one of the biggest problems, and, and I, I got to say I'm heartbroken at how many people I know in voice that are disabling it. And uh, like I said, these are things that if you were truly listening, Apple, it shouldn't be happening. It yeah, it's, really an, it's an absolute embarrassment. And we will uh, take that and move on to story number two, which sort of ties in a little bit to this, the fact that Sonos has come out with a new speaker called One that is very interesting from the standpoint of, it integrates Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri all on the same device. Brendan, I'll start with you. What did you think when you looked at this? Is this something that appeals to you? Um, does this solve any particular problem? Well, give me your thoughts. I think it's a good move to have all the different assistants in it because then you because it's just kind of one base for all of them. You could say, well, I'm not going to go buy that speaker because I hate Siri or I don't like the Google Assistant, which I love the Google Assistant, but I'm not going to go buy that one because I don't like the Google Assistant. But with this, you could really say, well, I'd like the speaker for the sound, the this, that, and then I'm going to go put my own assistant in it, whichever one I want. Listen, what they're doing is great. And I think ultimately we're going to have a lot more devices that are ambidextrous. They're going to talk to each other. And we already saw that Amazon and um, Cortana partnership. That is brilliant. 
we're going to start seeing more of that. And, um, you know, that's a different technology, different technique, but it's still running the same, uh, same ideas. Sonos has a, a tougher time. In fact, it, it, it was sad that they announced yesterday in the midst of uh, Google Max uh, announcement because it, it, it makes it hard to get through the noise. They're, you know, financially, they are going to be impacted by this and psychologically probably impacted more because people, although love Sonos, there's a point in time where they might shift and say, well, you know, I'm more dedicated to this other platform as pricing starts coming down. And, you know, the, the almost $300 price structure for the high-end speakers, that's not going to stand. That's going to go down to 100 at some point. And the larger companies have the ability to do that because they're subsidizing through voice commerce. Ultimately, what's going to subsidize this thing is the new advertising modality is commerce, uh, right? The web was built on advertising pay-per-click. If you didn't have pay-per-click, none of us would be talking about the web. It would not be able to be supported uh, because commerce alone did not support the web for a lot of reasons. But pretty much commerce alone is going to support voice, uh, you know, the voice-first revolution. That being said, Sonos would, I'm giving a little hint here, Sonos needs to polarize very quickly to realize that they're no longer selling hardware, they're selling a service. And it's a hard thing to do for a hardware company. It's hard I'm interested thing. to see how voice ads are going to evolve because I saw a video of how the Google Home started putting ads for the new Beauty and the Beast movie in there. Oh, and yeah. it was really awkward and just seemed unusual how you ask, like, what's going to be in my day? And then at the end, you know, also the new Beauty and the Beast movie is coming out. You should go see it. Major fail, right? Find a better way to do that. Yeah. See, and and my thesis is there is no pay-per-click advertising in the voice-first world. uh, Is the best way I could say. What that means is, if I were in this dialogue, all of a sudden uh, interjected, um, you know, my favorite hamburger or my favorite Coke or, uh, you know, beverage or, you know, hey, are your tires getting a little worn? I mean, we do not tolerate those types of interceding behaviors in a, in a, a vocal stream. There's no way we're going to accept that. The believers of this say that radio does it all the time. And that is absolutely an incorrect analogy. We do not see, and we will never see the voice for our systems as a radio type of interaction. It's a you don't talk to your radios. That's exactly it. And you get it instinctively. But there's people that want to believe because they're really upset with their paradigm being changed. They want to believe that somehow we're going to accept advertising. And the fact of the matter is we never will. And how we will vote is with our voice. We will simply stop using the system. We will stop asking for it because we don't want to hear their junk. We will move on to story number three. And (laughs) Amazon is taking Alexa into two very important new markets. I felt this was important to include, even though this is a primarily Google episode. India and Japan. Now, I've said several times and tweeted several times that the number two market by a large margin for voice first FM shows, number one being the United States, number two is India. We get a ton of listenership from India, and that's across the entire portfolio of our various shows. And that signals, I think, two different things. You know, Amazon's been building some groundwork for this for some time. I think that's an obvious one. But the second one is there's just simple interest. People wanting to know this information and learn more about the technology. And uh, so I think it's a fascinating step that uh, Amazon has moved into both Japan and India. And Brendan, I'm going to start with you. What do you think when you look at this? Do you like seeing that Amazon's moving into different countries like this? Or do you think they need to be focusing more domestically? What are, what are your thoughts? Yes, I think it's great they're moving. I I'm, I'm, was obviously very surprised they didn't do this in the first place. I thought they would be putting them everywhere to start with, but I think just getting them all over the globe is a, I think it's a great move for them. Cool. Brian, you agree? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think, I think that, you know, this idea that you just focus on one market is very, very flawed, you know? And uh, I think we're going to see, there is a tremendous amount of interest. In fact, a lot of people that are leading in India believe that people are going to sidestep the keyboard entirely and just speak into their phone. And there is evidence of that already coming up. Uh, I think um, 
I think it was Fortune magazine or it could have been Forbes. Uh, no, actually, it was an, anyway. There was a magazine that recently uh, said that most of India that are not on smartphone that are on smartphones are not using the keyboard. They're using wow. the voice prompts, and that has a lot to do with the complexities of the language. Has a lot to do with literacy. Uh, has a lot to do with other elements, but speaking into the phone is becoming a very powerful thing. And that's what I'm noticing with the younger cohort too. Uh, I'm noticing, uh, you know, in, around the United States, I was on Warp Tour and, you know, it's a kind of a punk tour, mostly uh, teens. A lot of people talking into their phone, texting to other people. That's going on around the world. China, it's really big. Uh, Mandy, uh, you know, we talked about that, Mandy Chang. And uh, other people I talk to all around the world, they're saying that this is becoming a big thing. So India was an important market. And again, not to make too much applesauce here, Apple had so much of this translation capability and, uh, and the ability to, to, to move into these markets, but the hardware cost limits them from adequately entering into India. And, and in fact, we can't really say that Siri is available in any useful way on the entry-level Apple devices in India. So this is, you know, sort of a way that they get themselves blocked out. And uh, if, if Google can get the um, Pixel 2 in an entry-level model with these buds, it's going to fundamentally change that area because there's even language barriers within regions of India. I mean, it's, it's not like they can't speak. It's just they can't get communication perfectly because of the, the differences in language. And again, I'm not an Indian Hindi language uh, expert, but I 100% agree that's they make a package with the Pixel Two and those earbuds, and <laughs> it's going to be insane. Oh, I, I think I think we can both agree. All three oh, of us agree that that's even, that's a future yeah, for, market for, for sure. And I would have to seriously consider buying it. I have a lot of reservations. I've expressed them pretty loudly about wireless uh, Bluetooth oh, yeah. headphones, and uh, however. You're talking about tra- being able to translate in real time all these different languages. Now you've got me thinking differently. And that's no joke. Uh, now you've yeah. got me thinking differently. Thinking so, differently. Yeah, Think so closer. there you go. The, exactly. And uh, it's not uh, Apple has got me thinking differently, except I'm thinking differently about what I wish it looked like. But Google just deserves a round of applause. Uh, and absolutely. It's just a natural conclusion after having two weeks of the show where it's a big Amazon, a Palooza, you know, with a, literally a deluge of new products, followed by a Google Palooza with another deluge of new products. And you sit there and it's, it's like, uh, and I used this analogy on the previous show, Apple reminds me a lot of Wile E. Coyote holding up a <laughs> tiny umbrella while this huge anvil descends on his head. <laughs> you know, it's just how can you not talk about Apple in this context? And so you're right, Brian, Apple's got another announcement. They've got another event they're going to do. Um, we can hold out hope, but the reality is that there's cultural reasons, there's institutional reasons that they're not able to compete as effectively and move as nimbly as Bradley, I, I got to ask, do you think some of the pundits are complacent uh, and, and compliant into making this environment. I mean, do you think that some of the pundits that just will absolutely deny that Apple can, I mean, I'm an Apple fan, but do you think that that's really driving some of this? That It's a big, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of it. Um, how can, um, you know, Apple's got a uh, pretty aggressive public relations uh, component where they're they're actively policing things. They're they're very interested. They they seem to be very interested in security, even though they can't stop a leak um, at all. And so they've <laughs> got all these they've, they've got all these people out in the world. You know, sort of this their own police force. So and then they've got the, you've got the me- well. <laughs> you've got the media uh, that I call the Apple blogosphere, and I'm not going to name names. It's not hard to find. Just you know, yeah. look for people talking about Apple on Twitter, and almost you know, it used to be a hundred percent. Now we're down to about eighty or ninety percent of these people who are just singing the praises of Apple, and they do so because, for two reasons. Number one, the history of the company, um, and Steve Jobs being the revered figure that he is. Number two. They want access to Apple with you know this closed uh, culture that Apple has. They want access to it, and so it creates this environment 
where it is uh, all the upside that any of these people can ever attain by doing what they do is only by being positive and singing the praises of Apple Inc. And it taints the water. It confuses the message. It makes it to where, to some extent, I don't blame the Apple executives completely for not knowing which way the wind is blowing and up is down, down is up, and continually managing to botch, you know, make these unforced errors. But um, so it, it's a combination of things. Um, it's, it's a lot of forces uh, combining to uh, steer the Apple ship in the wrong direction. But uh, maybe after seeing Amazon and how serious Amazon is about voice, uh, you know, two weeks ago, last week, and then seeing how serious Google is this week, um, Apple will start to realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe we need to be a little more serious about this and maybe and change some things. But, uh, you know, I'm a big right. Apple fan. Too. Yeah, you just can't talk about Google and Amazon doing these big things and not talk about uh, Absolutely. what Apple's not doing. You, you know, I, I got to ask, since we have Brendan and he's just an incredible guest, you know, you know, you're seeing the world through really different eyes here, right? Uh-huh. What's your gut instinct? I mean, you're seeing a lot of this stuff sort of new. I mean, some of us have been sort of been jaded by it. Um, do you do you feel these different divisions? Do you feel you know I have to be pro Apple or pro Google or pro Amazon, or do you just kind of see it as um, you know whatever works? I think that there. Are, I've always used Apple stuff, and I think that all the Google stuff is really interesting, and I would definitely give it a good try. But I definitely think there are the divisions, and I think that eventually they'll start going away. The more they start, the more these companies start introducing these new products that work with each other, like that Sono speaker that has all three systems built in. So, what drove you to Apple? I mean, was that just something that you naturally came to? What was uh, the ambition that said, "Hey, I got to get a, a you know a, a MacBook Pro and, and and not say a Windows laptop or something?" Well, years and years ago, we used to have one. I think it was a Dell Dell laptop running Windows. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, I think, for Christmas one year, we all got this big 27 inch iMac, wow. and that was a big step forward. And I realized how much I liked that so much better than the whole, whole windows experience. Did, did that inspire you? Did it, did it make you want to get involved in coding and programming? I think it definitely did. And I just like the stuff ever since how it just Apple stuff seems to just make more sense. And it just seems to be more user-friendly than windows. That's a fascinating example. And I think it's a very bittersweet example too, because how can you not listen to that? And then uh, that very succinct explanation, that, that perfect anecdote and not think about how Apple has neglected their hardware, you know? So it's like, I'm going to put a cherry on top of it. I'm going to put a cherry on top of this. If there were tools that were open to you and Apple had a, 3995 Siri device, and there were tools open to you as a developer. Would you have built some of the first apps, voice apps, on a Siri system rather than another system? Say, say that happened five years ago or three years ago. I think back then I probably would have tried to make it in the Siri system. Yeah. Just not knowing about the different features back then, not knowing how... Siri differs from all the different voice assistants back then, but I think that um, Apple's going to need to make some big changes to Siri if they're going to put out that HomePod and expect it to sell. So as a developer, are you thinking in terms of wanting, because I mean, you, I don't think we've talked enough about how, how much uh, great work you're doing in, in, in app development, uh, voice app development. Are you thinking in terms of that as a developer? I mean, what's your instinct? What's in your gut? It's like you're on the Google platform. You're looking at other things. How do you see it? I mean, are you really motivated? I got to build something on that HomePod. I don't think I'm super motivated to build things on HomePod (laughs) because knowing how it's probably going to turn out and, November, December, whenever it's going to come out. And unless I see like a completely new reworked Siri that answers you as fast as the assistant and everything that, all of that, 
I really don't think I would make serious stuff. See, Bradley, this is, this is the conversation I have all the time sure. and it's heartbreaking with so many developers and, and, and uh, Brendan is sounding like a true developer. They're looking at it through the right lenses. They're saying, you know, Apple, what are you giving me as a developer tool? How are you reaching out to me? What is, what is it that you're motivating me to go out and develop? And Brendan is, is in the Apple world. He was inspired by Apple computer. He's on a, a MacBook Pro creating. Yet, Apple has not been able to reach out to him and say, build on Siri. And it's not Brendan's fault. That's Apple's fault. Well, of, that's, of course it's Apple's fault. And, uh, and, and that's, that's great questions that you asked because for a youngster who is so technologically savvy, who uh, has plenty of resources uh, at, at disposal, um, you know, you ask the question, if you had had access to Siri three or four years ago, would you have developed for it? Shoot, how could you not? You know, and so I think that that's um, that's great. I think that's very insightful. And and like I said, I, the word that comes to mind is bittersweet because it's a perfect looking, you know, it's a perfect look into what could have been uh, as far as Apple is concerned, and uh, you know the opportunities they continue to miss on a daily basis. Brendan and Brian, thank you very much for joining us. This is a great, this is a great episode. Brian, did you want to throw something else in there at the very end? I I was just say that this is such an incredible show. Brendan so inspires me. I I hope others are hearing just what this represents because I think this is what we're looking at in the future. Thank you. Yeah. So, so honored to be here and uh, it's a great show today, guys. And we talked about, you know, all the Apple stuff. And, and I think one of the things that will go down in, in history is Phil Schiller saying, you know, uh, using the word courageous um, <laughs> in an Apple event like he did. But, Brendan, for a 16-year-old to come on this show with us, that actually is courageous. Thank you very much for setting the time aside. Thank you very much for having me on here. It was great. Brian, appreciate you as well, of Thank course. You. For This Week in Voice. Thank you for listening and until next time.